Good morning. I feel like you all are a bit of my north home, and I'm uh, a little perturbed that you have renovated my north home without telling me about it. I fondly missed the four largest front doors on the smaller churches, and I'm missing the aqua floors, Um, but I'll try to get through that. Um, My name is Cody Carnett. I get the privilege of pastoring in Fredericksburg, and I've had the privilege of being at this church for the last four or five years involved with Simeon Trust. I met Ryan. I'm not sure we, we really exchanged much of a greeting about seven years ago. In 2015, I was just beginning to pastor um, a church there in Fredericksburg. And you all are very similar. You sing the same songs. Um, I was very nervous coming in this morning because I rarely preach outside of my own context. But then we started singing and I thought, well, they're just singing all the same stuff we sing. Uh, and, and your church has a testimony. You should know this. I'm very grateful for your church. Uh, the way your church has the, 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 really the testimony. It, it goes very north and very south and very west and very east. Uh, a testimony of faithfulness to the Word of God. A testimony of, of, of hospitality. Um, in many ways, I know that your pastor shapes you. But in many ways, uh, you all have shaped your pastor. And we're very grateful for the testimony that this church has in proclaiming the word of God and the north part of this state. If you come south three and a half hours, we're very similar to you all. I would love if you come worship with us in Trinity Church. Uh, Different building, but same word of God. And I trust that it'll be an encouragement to you if you come. So let's do now the work of which we get to do on Sunday morning, and that is open the word of God together. If you will, open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. It's on page 978 if you're of your pew Bible, if you need that. If you will, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We will read the text. I'll read it for you. I've been preaching in at Trinity through the book of Ephesians, and I find this particular text helpful, and I hope it's encouraging to you as well. I trust that it will be. Ephesians chapter 5, our text is verse 3 through 21. Here now the reading of God's word. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become part- partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we submit ourselves now to your word. And we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would teach us and instruct us in it. We ask, Father, that by the time that we are done with this text this morning, that we might be more like your son and more glorifying to you than we are before the text. Father, we pray that you would use this text to expose our hearts, to encourage our hearts, to strengthen our hearts, to prepare our hearts, Father, for the return of your son. We pray, Father, that you might be honored and glorified by our time in your word. All for your glory in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Concussions are painful injuries. Growing up in New Braunfels, Texas, I played a lot of soccer. And I can't remember, but I was told that at one particular practice, my head became the middle part of the sandwich between a ball and the goalpost. I woke up in my own home, on my own couch, having had a concussion. Concussions are painful injuries. Interestingly enough, the doctor who would be on call if you were to have a concussion is not going to ask you initially, uh, where was your head hit? How much pain do you have in your head? He's going to look at your eyes. You see, God has designed your body so that your eyes are one of the indicators of the health of your brain. If you don't have much light, your pupils will grow quite large. And if you have a lot of light, they will do the opposite, grow quite dim. And concussions make your body respond to all sorts of things Quite improperly. Your eyes can indicate the health of your brain, but in a spiritual sense, our text this morning describes for us the way that we live our lives is the clearest indicator of whether we are staring into and enjoying the life and light of Jesus Christ or we're staring into darkness. See, my friends, my aim this morning is to convince you from this text That your life reflects what you can see. Your life reflects what you can see. I would suggest to you that this is true from the text and you be the judge. But if it's true from the text, then those closest to you, those who you talk with this week, those who you joke with this week, those who you laugh with this week, go to school with this week, work with this week might have the clearest view, the closest proximity to whether or not your life is reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ or if you're staring into darkness. Are you, you can notice the title, Sunshine in Dark Days. Are you a light for Jesus Christ in dark days awaiting the return of Christ or are you living a life that is contributing to the darkness? Or to put it in another way, your life reflects what you can see. Now, the Apostle Paul has been advocating for the Christian walk to be different from the world's since 
the beginning of chapter four. I don't know your familiarity with Ephesians, so let me just tell you, and you can see it. If you look at the beginning of Ephesians chapter four, you're going to notice the word walk. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's his launching point, because for the first three chapters, he's been telling us all about the glory of Jesus. All about the necessity of if you're going to love Jesus, you need Jesus to come into your hearts and shine his light. You need to be changed by the power of the spirit. You need to recognize the wonder of who God is. And you can't do that without God. In fact, he tells you, you've been enjoying your life in darkness. That's Ephesians chapter two. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, he's been telling us. Which is not to say that you've been dead to the world. That actually means you've been enjoying the darkness of the world and you've been dead or blind to the glory of God. And yet God in his grace has shined upon you. Jesus comes into your heart. Things change. Now you can see light. And so he gets to chapter four and says, now you need to walk in a manner worthy of that call. He picks it up in chapter five, verse two. He says, now, not only you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the call, you're going to walk in love. You're going to walk in imitation of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And Paul continues building on that exhortation in this text this morning in three different movements. We'll see first in verses three through six of chapter five, the instruction that darkness must be avoided. He's then going to move in chapter and verses seven through 14 and tell us that we should recognize that light light has been given. And finally, in verses 15 through 21, that your walk must be wise. Verses three through six, darkness must be avoided. You can see the text. Paul describes darkness. Your life reflects what you can see. So darkness must be avoided. And when Paul talks about darkness, he's not meaning let's just shut all the lights on off in this room. Let's board up the windows and let's get this thing as dark as we can. And you shouldn't walk in that. We know this, but by way of reminder, he's simply telling us you should not walk like the world walks. When he talks about darkness, he talks about what happens at the fall. We were walking in and with God and then sin came and darkness came. And now you're walking blind to God. And he says there are there's an entire world. That walks like that, there's an entire group of people that walks in darkness and this is how they walk. And he describes it for us in verses three through six. They're darkened, if you will, as he tells us in Romans chapter one, in the understanding of their mind. They're living without Christ. In the darkness that is being lost and unsaved. Now, Paul describes that dark living in a way that was very specific to the culture of which he was writing this letter to. He's writing it to the church that is in Ephesus. And Ephesus is one of the darkest places you can read about in the Bible. It was a place full of all sorts of impurity and sexual immorality due to the idol that that city seemingly across the board worshipped. And now you have this little tiny church and seemingly a very large city. The whole city is just completely given over to darkness. And Paul's saying, now your life can't be like that. In fact, he says, you must avoid all of that darkness. Notice what he says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Verse three, I like the NIV here. It says there must not even be a hint of this. 
You shouldn't be able to walk into the church and find even a hint of the way the world outside of the church, those given into darkness, are living. He goes on to say, let there not even be filthiness or, or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. We can see that this type of living in the world that is around us. And I'm not sure what Ephesus was like. You weren't there. I've never been there. But I can tell you that I'm, I can't imagine America is much better when it comes to dark living. Friends, your life reflects what you can see and we can walk out of this church building this afternoon and we can find ourselves enjoying all of the darkness that is around us and it's very accessible. If you think that impure online browsing is only seen by your eyes, then you and I are both fools to think so. And note, eventually your life will reflect as such. If, if time... If you would spend your free time just simply flipping through, scrolling through, looking for that next thing that you so desperately want, that greatest new model of that thing, and you're just giving yourself over to it because your friend down the street has that, and you want it so badly, covetousness, your life will reflect as such. What comes out of your mouth? Now, I've discovered it seems to be quite vogue these days that Christians use some of the language of the world. You know, just to really provide emphasis, you've got to drop a little bit of character in some of our conversations. When you're just with the boys, you just kind of let, let some things flow. When you're just with the girls, let some things flow. Paul says, no. None of these things, none of these things that are ill-mannered or distasteful should be even noted in the church. This kind of darkness must be Avoided. And, and we could be tempted, I think, to just read Ephesians 5, 3 through 6 and say, well, you know, I'm not doing that, that, that of which Paul names. But friend, what kind of things does the Holy Spirit bring to your mind of what you're engaging in that is darkness? And then you've been enjoying it instead of avoiding it. And it's time to say, you know what? I'm in the light of Jesus Christ and I can't be doing that kind of stuff. This kind of darkness must be avoided. Why should the darkness be avoided? Well, Paul tells us why. You'll see. Look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. Let me just put it frankly. Those who walk in darkness, those who do not avoid darkness, those who enjoy darkness, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So don't be deceived. Because of those type of ways of living, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why? Should we avoid such darkness? Because living in this way is evidence of someone who is not saved from their sins and God's wrath is stored up like a tsunami to be poured out upon them on judgment day. Your life reflects what you can see. So darkness must be avoided. Or if you don't avoid darkness, then you get what you enjoy now. But for all of eternity, darkness and separation from God. And his wrath, which was poured out on Jesus for Christians, is now going to be poured out on you. For if you think you can live in darkness and endure the wrath of God on judgment day, then I simply ask you to look to Jesus Christ of which 
went to death because of the wrath of God and see how you're going to measure up. Can you endure the wrath of God? The very Son of God could not. Friends, it should be noted that though we are to avoid darkness, we live in it. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, in the upper room, as he's praying for his disciples, John 17, if I can sum up, you're going to live in the world, but not of the world. Physically present in the world that is lost in sin, but not of the values and ideas, ideals of the world. That, that's his admonition to the church. That's his admonition to you. Darkness must be avoided. Your life reflects what you can see, and, and yet you're to walk in out there amongst darkness and yet be a light for Christ. Think about it this way. I think there's a, a pastoral element here. There's a difference between encountering sexual immorality, of which he speaks about, and engaging in it. Uh, There's there's a difference between encountering impurity and engaging in it. There's a difference between getting up in the morning because you can't get up in the morning. You can't turn on your phone. You can't walk out your front door. can't get the mail anymore, it seemingly. Turn on the television. Watch a movie without encountering darkness. There's a difference between encountering it and engaging in it. And Paul says these things must be avoided. There's a difference between encouraging things, these things in your life and seeking these things out, clicking on them, searching about them, reading about them. There's a difference in doing that between just being a person that's in a dark world of which you have the light of Jesus Christ and you're desperately wanting all that darkness to go away. Darkness must be avoided. But secondly, and the greatest of contrast, in point number two, verses seven through 14, Paul says, light has been given. Your life reflects what you can see and light has been given. Friends, if you were to walk like I have, my church is has a, a long quarter mile road, which you just comes cuts through the middle of a pasture before you get to my church. And so sometimes if I'm at the church late at night and I'm walking, I just walk down that road and pray and I'm thinking about the sermon. One night I walked down that road, and I had the suspicious sense that there was something that was close to me of which I did not want it to be close to me. All I could see was a slight strip of white. I wanted a light to see the white. On Mr. Skunk, gratefully, I was able to avoid him. If you are to walk in darkness and you need a light and you have a light available, would you not want that light? Light has been given and it is a glorious light. It's the brightest of all lights. It's available to you. And you can see Paul picked this up. You can see it in even verse 11. Notice the text. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead instead expose them. He's contrasting this light and darkness. Referring to verses 3 through 6. What I want you to see clearly is that Paul isn't describing Christians who walk in the light 
or unbelievers who walk in darkness. Just notice the text. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Now, we would typically say something to the effect of, now, one time you walked in darkness. One time you, and now you should walk in the light. That's not what Paul says. See the text? You one time were darkness. And now you are light. Notice in verses 8, of which I just read, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Look at verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. He says that those who walk in darkness are darkness, and those who walk in light are light. Or to put it another way, darkness and light are an identity issue for Paul. It's not an issue for Paul here in this text, and it's right to say you should walk in light. That's a good thing to say. It's right. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's pushing, if you're in Christ, you are light. That's your identity now. If you're in darkness, you are darkness. Which is quite helpful because we can easily fool ourselves into thinking, Christians, believers, that I can indulge in a bit of darkness, but not be darkness. And Paul says, remember, if you are saved, you are light, and you can't avoid not being light. This is the absurdity of us as Christians pausing in the conviction of the Holy Spirit about a particular sin and saying, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. As if I'm not light. And Paul says, that's crazy. You've been saved by the grace of God. This isn't you anymore. You're now in Jesus Christ. You've, been, you've had him put on you. Why would you go over here and act like you're still there? He says, no way. And yet we can still do it. He describes for us that though the light has come, it's necessary because darkness is a natural thing. Friends, you and I are darkened in the understanding of our mind. We are born in darkness. Sin tells us that that is what it is. We are darkened. We are in separation to God. And we need the light that has come. And there's no way for you here this morning to remove the darkness from yourself by any of your own efforts. We, uh, we, you can't educate your children out of darkness. Uh, you, you can't live morally and remove yourself from darkness. You can't be a good person in Graham, Texas and That's somehow going to move you from darkness to light. Darkness is the natural state of our hearts and we need the light that has come. You need the light that has come if it's not coming to your heart this morning. Martin Luther put it this way. The truth is that nobody who is not the Spirit of God sees a jot of what is in the Scriptures. You hear what he says? The truth is that nobody who has not the Spirit of God, sees a jot, sees a smallest about of what is in the Scriptures. All men have their hearts, he says, darkened, so that even when they can discuss and quote all that is in Scripture, they do not understand or really know any of it. You can read this all you want, but if you're in the darkness of your mind and heart, you ain't getting nowhere. You need the light of Jesus Christ. 
What we need in our lives, Christians, is contrast between holy living and hellbound living. The world and many even in the church in America today are much more interested in less contrast and more grayscale. Which makes living in ways that are more reflective of darkness than light all that more incomprehensible and hopefully to us quite appalling. Now Paul talks to us about the light that has come and he describes it by using an Old Testament text. Paul bases what this light is in Jesus. He wants to set before us the glory of Jesus Christ. And he uses two presumably Old Testament texts. He doesn't quote exactly from them. He more like goes to the Old Testament and says, this is what the Old Testament texts say. And I'm going to summarize and mash them together. I'll quote both of those texts for you. No need to go there. I'll read them for you. But the first is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. He says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He also quotes from Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Paul is connecting the glory of this light to and in Jesus Christ. When anything is exposed, verse 13, by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And then he speaks of Christ. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Or to put it another way, the death and resurrection of Christ put to death our death and raised us to eternal light and life in Jesus Christ. Or we are no longer in darkness because Christ is no longer in the darkness of the grave. Or to put it another way, we are now light because Christ, the light of the world, has shone in our hearts. He proves this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Meaning what the sun does every morning. is what God has done in our hearts. Light is the description of salvation is a really common theme in the Bible. You probably know this. But I'm just going to remind you of some of them because it all moves from. A place that started with light went to darkness and then it just keeps growing. The darkness does and the light still shines. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. And a whole bunch of it. And then darkness, the darkness of sin came into the world. And really the question the Bible is offering to us is, is the darkness going to cloud out? Is it going to shut out? Is it going to overwhelm the darkness? And the beauty of it is, is not only does the darkness keep shining, if you will, but the light cannot be drowned out and it shines brighter still, forcing out the darkness. You see this in the wonder of God leading his children with the pillar of fire by night. Or the kindness of God to give light to the Israelites while the Egyptians wandered in darkness during the ninth plague of Moses. That when we awake each morning to the dawn's light, we're reminded of the mercies of God afresh every day. That's why we have that admonition and lamentation. The mercies of God are new every morning. To remind us the light of God through Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 prophesying of the coming of Jesus Christ. 
The people who walked in darkness have what? Seen a great light. Or John 1 verse 5, of which we read this morning, Christ, the light of the world, has come. This is one of Paul's favorite illustrations, the use of light. Because just think of the personal testimony of Paul. A man devoted to darkness, interested in destroying you, the church, and on the way to doing so, one day he is met by the glorious light of Jesus Christ. And in a unique turn of the testimony of Paul, though he can't see, blinded, the light of the, the gospel is shining in his heart. It's all going to Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Oh, what a wonder in heaven it is that the Lamb is the light. Friends, if you've been saved by the light of Christ, then how could we walk in darkness? And of course, Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things that do not look like darkness. Why? Because you live in this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Friends, light has been given because Jesus Christ has come. Darkness must be avoided because light has been given. We're to walk in that light because we are light. Think about the sun that rose this morning. God made it to shine. Sure, there are cloudy days, but the sun's still doing its thing. How absurd would it be? How incomprehensible would it be for you to wake up one morning and look out your window and 8 o'clock comes and no light, 9 o'clock comes, no light, 10 o'clock comes, no light. The, the, the sun just decided to take a day off. Not shining today. I've been working around the clock. No need to shine today. It would be mind-boggling. For something that God created to not do what he designed it to do. Friends, that's you and me. If you're a Christian, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, that's what Paul's saying. You have to shine because light has been given to you. That's who you are. We don't get a choice in the matter anymore. We have been brought from darkness to everlasting light. Even Christ says, don't hide your light under a bushel. We're to be sunshine in dark days. You know those days when it's just, you look out, maybe on the, Eastern sky, northern sky, a big storm is coming in. It's just completely black. And there's that one opening in the clouds of which sun is bursting through. You think, well, no matter what this storm's going to, what happened in this storm, there's going to be a light on the other side of it. And that's how the Christian is to live in the darkness of this world. Pointing people to Jesus Christ. Christians are those who have been brought from darkness of sin and death into the glorious resurrection, light and life of Jesus Christ. And for a person of light to attempt to walk in darkness is as incomprehensible as the sun trying not to shine. The Christian is light because the light of Christ is shown upon them. And for the light to try to hide itself and go back to darkness is foolishness, madness, a sickness of the mind that should make us question the health of one's heart. I just want to quickly note 
before we move to this last section, just notice verse 10. Because it is challenging to live in the light in a dark world. No doubt. How do we minister to that neighbor? This past week, I found myself in my neighbor's kitchen. And she threatened to sue me. Because of something I wanted to do on my property. And I had the tough question. Of how do I respond with everything Texas in me is saying no. And yet, I've been working on this lady for three years to try to get her to church and see Jesus because she's lost. That's a hard thing to be light in a dark world. And Paul, I just want to note in verse 10, it's very helpful for us. Hear the pastoral heart of Paul and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And let me just tell you that by way of application. That's a good question to ask. When you're trying to live in the light of Jesus Christ and the darkness that is around you, and you're trying to make sure that your life reflects what you can see, it's just to simply ask yourself the question and pause and say, what would be pleasing to my father at the moment right here? I'm trying to interact with my coworker in a way that would make sure that they understand I'm under King Jesus. There's a lot of questions and faith is difficult to walk out. But that can be something that is quite helpful for us to just pause and say, "Is it? would this be honoring to the Lord? And the Bible doesn't give me a clear black and white on this issue, but, but, but in faith, how would my father respond to this action I'm going to take, this word I'm going to give? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do your best on that. As you walk in darkness, because the light, has, excuse me, as you walk in light, because the light has been given. Darkness must be avoided. Your walk must be wise. Excuse me. Light has been given. Now finally your walk must be wise. Verses 15 through 21. Your life reflects what you can see. And so if we have the light of Christ. Then our walk must be wise. That's the logic of which Paul takes. Look carefully. He says. Then how you walk. Verse 15. Not as unwise. But as wise. Making the best use of the time because of the days are evil. And you can see he sort of mashes the things together. You're walking in the light. You're walking around or in and amongst darkness. Seeking to be a light for Jesus Christ. These days are evil. Walk wisely. And then he, he, he gives us a bunch of application. In verses 17 through 21. Of what it is to have a walk that is wise. Notice what he says. Therefore do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not get drunk with wine. Find that interesting. The Apostle Paul in the list of all his sins he drops in drunkenness. Ever thought about that? Like, Paul, I, I get you when it comes to some of the sins you've named higher up. I'm all on board with those. Those are bad. But then he drops this one in. You go, you know, in the hierarchy of sins, I don't quite see that one up there, Paul. What, what are you doing? I think it's pretty clear what he's doing. And that is this. If you, Christian, are filled with the Holy Spirit... Don't fill yourself with something else that's going to be controlling you and making the world 
clearly recognize that at the moment you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Application can be across the board on this. Certainly drugs is part of this. That you wouldn't want to put something in your body that would make clear to a dark world that you're not walking in the light of Jesus Christ. But you've got the Holy Spirit in you, so whatever you are doing, you should be, it should be evident to those around you that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit within you. So make sure that your walk is wise. Instead, we're instead of being controlled by these wine or whatever it might be, be controlled by the Spirit. And aware of others for the sake of the Lord. You can see what takes place. When you're drunk, you're not aware of what's going on around you. You're not aware of where your feet are. You're not aware of your testimony. And he says, listen, the Christian who is filled with the Spirit should be living in such a way that they're aware of the glory of God. They're aware of the Holy Spirit within them. They're aware of the light of Jesus Christ. And they're aware of others that are around them of which need Jesus. Or, if they have Jesus, need to be encouraged in Christ. That's his admonition here. This isn't a text that says, hey, you shouldn't drink. It's actually a text that says, you should make sure you're living in such a way that the world around you knows that you're controlled by the power of the Spirit. That you're different. Because you've been made new. Note, you might just note there, a good way to walk wisely is with other Christians and in thankfulness. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on this run of addressing one another. And many think that Paul is probably quoting some sort of hymn here. Even this morning, we gathered, you sang, I sang. I've never sung with you, but I'm trying to sing loud because I want to make sure that you get ministered to by my voice as you're ministering to me by your voice about the glory of who Jesus is. Which is why you should sing. You're ministering to one another. I'm thinking about others and you're thinking about me. We're thinking about each other and we're seeking to encourage one another in the Lord. That's a good way to know the will of God. Walk wisely. Give thanks. We just completed a few days of thanksgiving and that's something that the world celebrates on one day but that's something Christians do every day is to give thanks. So if you find yourself this week wanting to know what in this moment should I do that would be pleasing the Lord, then you might just pause and give thanks to God for who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. Give thanks for your church. Give thanks for your spouse. Give thanks for your friends. The Bible. You have a long list. We all do. That which we can give thankful, give thanks for and that which would help us walk wisely. So much of Paul's beginning and end even of this passage centers around this idea of if our life is going to reflect what you can see, then one of the things about our life as Christians is we're going to be thankful people. He says that in verse 4. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. He says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your life reflects what you can see. I don't know about you, but I struggle oftentimes that with my life as I am seeking to walk out my life for Jesus Christ. And some of those who are closest to me can attest to the fact that I don't always walk like I should. And maybe that's you here this morning. Discouraged even at times about my sin that is evident to those around me. I enjoy sports. I competed this last week with one of my daughters in a game that I greatly enjoy. 
had to apologize afterward. Because I got upset with her. We weren't winning like we wanted to win. It's a struggle, is it not? So people might ask even. Maybe even ask you this week. You say you're a Christian. But you're not always doing the right thing. I think about that with my neighbor. She saw me visibly frustrated with her about her desire to sue me about my property. And I'm thinking about that. And yet, what would be my answer? What would be your answer? If my life is going to reflect what I can see, then what am I looking at? Well, if I'm looking at Christ, then maybe my testimony and yours as well would be something to the effect of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rotten God like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Or you probably sing it as well. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. And now I've been brought to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and have come to Jesus Christ, then I trust that Though your life might struggle at times with your sin, that your life reflects what you can see. Your pupils aren't the only thing that adjusts to light. You know those glow-in-the-dark shoes that kids wear? They go into a light and then they go into the closet. They come out of the house and go out onto the dark night of a porch and you can see their shoes glowing. Or the little stars that people put on top of a ceiling. What's unique about those things is that the more they're exposed to light, the brighter they shine. And the longer they're not exposed to light, the dimmer they grow. It's very similar to us. And yet, though we will never shine as brightly as the light that is shown upon us, it is to say, friends, that you and I, as Christians, have the endless capacity To shine brighter than we currently do. So if you're here this morning and you are seeking to shine for Jesus Christ, keep going. But just know you can't shine brighter than the light of Jesus Christ to shine upon you. It's too bright, but you can keep growing in that. The more we look upon the glorious work of our Savior and devote ourselves by the power of the Spirit to understanding his love for us, the greater we will shine. And the more protection we will gain from dark ways of living. Or to put it another way, the more that we look upon the light and love of our Savior, the darker sin will look to us. And your life reflects what you can see. And there isn't anything but glorious, bright light and warmth and love in Jesus Christ. So I would just implore you, even this week, as we prepare for the worship and the reminder the birth of Jesus that is preparing us for the return of Jesus, to give yourself in these weeks to basking in the wonder of who Jesus is. And your life will reflect to the world and community the wonderful Savior that He is to you. Of that, I can promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you for what you have given to us from it. It's a challenge, Father, for us to obey your word as it's set before us. We cannot do it without the power of your spirit. So may we not walk out of here today thinking that we can 
pursue you. We can do Christian things in our own strength and ability. But rather, Father, may we recognize that as we avoid darkness, as we live in the light that has been given to us, as we walk wisely by the power of your spirit, that you enable us for your glory and for our good to grow and make progress in living our lives in such a way as to reflect to the world around us the wonder of Jesus Christ that you have placed before us. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters in the Lord that live far from me. You've called them to be here, to live for the glory of God. They'll go to their classrooms tomorrow, their workplace, the ball field, the practice the grocery store. Father, this city is watching them. And I pray that you would strengthen them by your word to live in such a way so that this city sees Christ in them. Father, inevitably, there is always at least one that here's the preaching of your word that is hardened in their heart against sin, and I pray that you would use the word to pierce their heart. That they may not walk from here and think that dark living can be something they can enjoy and name Jesus. Those two things don't have to go together. Rather, Father, you would use the word to call them to repentance and equip them in that repentance to turn from their sin and pursue the light of Christ. We thank you for your word this morning and the way that you speak to us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.